I don't know if you know this about me or not, but um, I am a, a recovering control freak. And um, I, I like to be in control. Uh, I, I, I Actually, that's, it's not true. I'm not recovering at all. I still, <laughs> still am a bit of a control freak. Um, uh, we're in 21 days of prayer, and, and we, uh, we went into this season uh, this time around really with the intention that uh, we would kind of wait and see uh, what the Lord was doing and, um, and to hear from you as we wrote the post-it notes and put them up on the walls here and, uh, and just kind of press in and, and hear from the Lord as to what He wants for us uh, in these 21 days. And so... Um, Last week, we talked a little bit about the uh, intimacy with God to spend some time just listening to his voice. And, uh, and I'm, I'm the kind of person who, um, who needs to have some structure, has the outline for you to fill out, uh, has notes, has a sermon series prepped and ready to go three months in advance. And, uh, and so this whole kind of wait and see what the Lord does and speaks and stuff, um, that's a little out of my comfort zone. Uh, the Holy Spirit can, can move, but within the boundaries of, you know, my structure. And, uh, and so uh, if you've ever tried to require that of the Lord, you know that that's not actually possible. So he will always go outside of your boundaries. Uh, and so uh, this morning, this is what I know. I know that we wanted to change things up. Uh, I know that we want you to have the opportunity to respond to last week's message, uh, and uh, I know that you're going to hear a testimony of someone from our church uh, that is, is really, really amazing. So that's what I know for sure. The rest is all up for grabs. Uh, I, I want to I start by just talking about the fact that um, we live, how many of you would say uh, since school started and band and sports and all of this stuff that, that my life has just gotten so busy in the last couple of weeks? How many of you would just agree with that? Uh, you know, my parents are moving into a new house and some of you are moving into new houses. We've got new staff members coming on and it's just, it's busy. It's busy. And how many of you would agree that it, it's difficult to find time to just sit and listen to the Lord? Would you agree with that? If you're raising your hand, we're, nobody's judging you because I'm raising my hand. At least I'm not judging you. Everybody else that's not raising their hand, they're judging you. <laughs> it's, it's, hard, it's hard to find the time, isn't it? And, and so we find ourselves just kind of in the hamster wheel, we're just going and going and going and going, and, uh, and, and we hear messages like last week where it's like, God just wants you. He just wants your heart. He just wants to spend time with you, and we're like, yes, we know this is true, but, but we're so busy. We're so busy, and there's so much noise and things going on in our, in our life, and, and so much of what we do on Sundays uh, in a service, certainly in first service, is very structured from a time standpoint because we have to 
be done and make room for you. Uh, but even in, in second service, we're still structured. We still have this time where it's like we do this and we do this. We, we have some worship songs. Uh, we uh, have some announcements. And then we have a message. And then we have one more worship song. And if it's communion Sunday, we have communion in there. And then, uh, and then we have another worship song. And then we go home and, uh, oh, yeah, we throw the offering in there as well. So we just kind of have this pattern. And so we just wanted to mix it up a little bit today. Put a little bit of worship at the beginning, but then end with some worship just to get us out of the, the structured way of which we always do things. Because I think sometimes our structure and, and our, uh, our process, our routine, doesn't leave room for us to just connect with God. Uh, and so today we're going to do that. We're going to leave some room to connect with, with the Lord. The other thing that we've discovered is, as, we, as I was looking at all of the, the post-it notes up on the wall, uh, I recognized uh, something very interesting, that the majority of the things that are up on this wall are petitions for somebody or something else. Meaning that when we wrote down the post-it notes, our immediate thought or response was to write something, I, need, I want healing for this family member or physical healing for, for this friend of mine or I need peace in this situation, God, be with our country, right? You know, it's like everything is kind of this external response and very few of the things that are written up there are for me are personal, are, God, deliver me or free me from my addiction in my life. Free me from the anger that I've allowed to creep up in my life. Like, like we don't see a lot of those kinds of personal, God, do this in me. With the exception of, uh, like, marriages, uh, marriages seem to be, uh, up there quite a few times where it's like, God, will you work in, in my marriage? Uh, but even that, if we're being honest, is oftentimes directed towards our spouse because there's nothing wrong with us, right? It's just, God, be in my marriage. And what I mean by that is be with my spouse and fix them. Uh, we don't want to look in, in the mirror at ourselves. And so it's just very few of those things. And I, it just got me thinking as to why. Why are we so hesitant to, to, to be personal in our prayer life. To, and I, I, I had some thoughts, and I don't know if this is you or not. I, I certainly would, would never like uh, make a blanket statement. But some of the thoughts I had were pretty educated guesses, things like the fact that, well, we're, you know, whenever you talk about yourself, you're, you're kind of self-centered, right? When you're dealing with yourself, and nobody wants to be self-centered, nobody wants to be selfish, nobody wants to focus on themselves, by and large. I know that there are people who do, but in our prayer life, it's like, man, if I could just, if I could pray for everyone else, the reality is, is my circumstances aren't that big of a deal, it's not that bad, whatever. So that's one of the reasons why. Another reason why is, uh, because of pride. Uh, we don't think that we need prayer in our life. We don't, we don't see anything wrong with us. And so why would I address any of, of, of myself? 
to the Lord. Uh, some of it is that we don't feel uh, holy enough. We feel, we're kind of the opposite of the pride situation. We feel so bad that we could never come to the Lord ourselves. And so it's easier to ask the church and the professionals to pray for these things because I couldn't actually ever come into the presence of God. There's probably a hundred more of the things that keep us from spending time personally with the Lord, but I want to talk today about that, about whether or not, not whether or not, I want to talk about maybe the last time we just individually got into the presence of the Lord and said, God, will you show me areas of my life that need to be adjusted and changed? God, will you, will you work in me? Will you move in my life? Because I, I really believe that, no, I know God wants you individually. He cares about all of these things. Don't get me wrong. He does care about them, but he cares about you. He, he wants time with you. And when he doesn't get time with us, it's, I, I don't, it's damaging. It's, it's not healthy. It's not good. It's not, it's like, it's like a separation. And he wants you to be in his presence. So I want to. I was thinking about a couple of the different examples, and I want to share with you just a couple examples where people were faithful to pray. In one instance, it's the story of David. Many of us know the story of David. David was a king of Israel. David, uh, it's David and Goliath. That David, right before he was ever king, he was slaying giants and killing lions and tigers and bears. Oh my. Uh, so he, he was doing all these things, but then he became king, and, and David ends up uh, sleeping with another man's wife. Caesar, from his rooftop, ends up sleeping with another man's wife, and then um, to get himself out of this evil thing that he did, he ends up sending the woman's husband uh, out to the front lines so that he would be killed. So then maybe he, his secret would be safe. Nobody would have to know. He ends up uh, then taking this woman that he committed adultery with as his wife. And well, uh, because there are no such things as secrets, uh, David was caught in it. And in Psalm chapter 51, David really is in the presence of God. He's, he's praying with God. And it's about him. It's about the things in his life. It's about, it's about recognizing his mistakes and his shortcomings and his failures. And it's really this beautiful moment of repentance, this beautiful moment of, of, of forgiveness and, and asking God to be present in his personal life. And I want to read some of the, some of the scriptures to you. Because I, I love how personal David is making this. And in verse 1 it says, 
Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. In verse 6 it says, Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You want there to be truth in my life. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. In other words, he's, he's asking God to do a deep cleansing in his life. To show him those areas where he has wandered. In verse 8, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Verse 10, create in me a pure heart, O God, a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. See, David understood that in order for there to be favor in his life, for him to live life to the fullest, there had to be this connection in this relationship with God in such a way that he would allow God to investigate the innermost parts of his life. There was such an intimate relationship there that it wasn't as though David was telling God anything he didn't know. But there was something about that admittance, repentance, that acknowledgement that only God can bring about cleanliness and intimacy into our life. There's another man really unrelated to the story of David and for different reasons, was a man of prayer. And this man, his name is Cornelius. And Scripture says in Acts chapter 10 that Cornelius was a man who regularly prayed. In fact, it starts off, the chapter starts off, it says at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion. So he, this is a, a soldier. He's in charge of like a hundred men, that would be, uh, he was no, it was known as the Italian regiment, and so he would have been in charge of at least a hundred men. It says, he and all of his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need, and he prayed to God regularly. It's interesting because we don't really know, there's a lot of debate as to whether or not it says that he was, they were devout and they were God-fearing. So they, they were at least had some faith. We don't know if they were uh, believers because they hadn't yet heard the gospel necessarily, but they were religious to some extent. And he was a praying man. In fact, he would pray regularly, individually. He would find time to get with God and pray with God. To spend his moments personally with him. So Cornelius is praying one day and he has this vision. God sends an angel. He has this vision. The, in the vision, he's told to go send for one of the guys that we heard about, one of the disciples, Peter. Go get Peter. He's over in Joppa, 33 miles away. Bring him back to your family so Peter can share with you about Jesus. What he didn't realize was at almost the same exact time, you've got a guy named Peter who's also praying individually with God, and Peter gets a vision. And his vision's not as uh, specific. It's a little more in pictures, and it's 
talking about white sheets and different things, but the gist of the, of the vision is that he shouldn't see things as impure or unclean. And that's a pretty important fact because you've got Cornelius' family who would not be Jewish people, and then you've got Peter who is a Jew, and, and really they were never supposed to fraternize. They were never supposed... Who uses the word fraternize anymore? But they weren't supposed to like be in each other's company and relationship. And, and, uh, and so, Peter, uh, so what happens is Cornelius sends some of his guys to go get Peter, bring him back as the vision told him. Peter comes down after he's had this vision and he says to these men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? And the men replied, we've come from Cornelius the centurion. He's a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. So Cornelius is at home, he's inviting all of his friends and all of his family to gather into his house because he knows that Peter is going to come and Peter is going to share with them something that is going to be life-changing. Peter goes into the house when they arrive and he finds this large gathering of people and he said to them, um, you all know this already, that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with, with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me in a vision that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came with, without raising any objection. May I ask why you have sent me? And Cornelius answers and he says, three days ago I was in my house and I was praying at this very hour at three in the afternoon and suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. So send to Joppa for Simon who is called Peter. He's a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner who lives by the sea. So they sent immediately to get him, brings him back and at the end of the story, what we find is Peter sharing with all of his friends and family about Jesus and they all become filled with the Holy Spirit, and they all become believers. Because one man, Cornelius, got on his knees in the busyness of his life, responsible for hundreds of men. He made time to spend with God. He made time to hear from God, to listen, to, to take a moment out of his day and to be still before the Lord and listen to what he has to say. And here's the beauty of that story is because one man got on his knees before the Lord and made time, we get to be here today. See, most of us in this room, we are the Gentiles. We are the people that, the, that Peter wasn't supposed to be associating with. And so we get to be here because a man got before the Lord, quieted himself, listened and heard God speak to him, and his whole family and our lives are changed because of it. So it got me to thinking in these two stories, when was the last time we just stop for a moment and ask God to create in us a clean heart? When was the last moment we just stopped and were still before the Lord to listen to him? 
and listen for his voice. What generations of people, of family, might be impacted because you take a moment and are still before the Lord? I want you to hear the story of a kind of a modern-day Cornelius, if you will. He probably wouldn't want me to call him that necessarily, but somebody who gets to share his story with you. I thought it would be important to, for you to hear not just some biblical examples, but a modern-day example of someone who just took the time to sit before the Lord and ask God to change him and the impact that it had on him and his family. We welcome Jonathan Davis. Ryan. Good morning. By the way, I'm not anybody special. Uh, the Lord just has really answered a lot of prayer, and I needed a lot of prayer, so he's, he's been good. Uh, I was asked to share about praying for family, uh, and I'm glad to do that because I have some testimonies about how I've seen God answer my prayers for my family, and I've seen him teach me how to pray. A lot of those prayers and testimony were really out of desperation, but I've seen him move faithfully. The, prayer I, the prayers I had for my family really started long before I was even married. I was giving my life back to God about 10 years ago, and he started showing me the areas of my life that he wanted to change and set me free from and transform. By that time in my life, I'd seen the effect of the problems of other the other people had that were the same as mine, and I knew my pornography addiction could end a marriage or bloom into something worse or at least really hurt my future wife's heart. It could destroy a family, leaving kids with hurt and pain that I caused. I knew my horrible anger problem could do the same thing, my financial issues could end a marriage, like it does for many families, or at least cause a lot of grief. And I want to make very clear that if some of these things are issues for you now, or have caused problems in the past, please do not feel condemnation. I really want to encourage us that it doesn't matter where we are, it matters that the Lord is with us. And he wants to do great things in our families, in our own lives. It's kind of like he's our dad and he's teaching us how to ride a bicycle. He is not mad at us when we fall. Please don't hear that. He loves us with his whole heart. His whole heart, he loves us. He's not mad at us. He doesn't have anything against us. He doesn't, he doesn't despise us. He enjoys us. But he does want to teach us how to ride, how to get back up. And when we fall, get back up. I still love you. I'm still here. Let's, you can do it. You can do it. So I just want to make that really, really clear. Nobody walking out of here with condemnation, okay? Just encouragement. So I had these issues, and I started to pray. It wasn't even primarily for a future family, it was mostly just against these huge issues in my life 
not to mention a whole lot of other ones that we don't even have time for. (laughs) It was just for me as my father's son. I needed healing. I needed freedom. I was actually really desperate, (laughs) to be honest with you. But nevertheless, I did pray often that uh, I wouldn't bring these issues into my future family. I knew I needed to be changed according to his word. I prayed and prayed and prayed and fought. We are to obey obey the Lord's commandments if we love him, like Pastor Ryan shared last week. I was really praying that I'd be free. The scripture says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So why not have freedom from all these things? I knew I was the problem. And that's a big point. It's like Pastor Ryan was just talking about. We don't want to focus on ourselves. Being self-centered isn't good. And we shouldn't beat ourselves up. However, sometimes God is saying, you need to give your life totally to me and let me work on you before I do other things in your life. And that doesn't mean he's not going to use us in the meantime. He does. But he wanted me to lay my life down, give it all to him, and let him highlight the things. And he, he, mostly he did that when in prayer. And he would just highlight those things in my heart. And then I'd be broken, and I'd be sobbing. And then he'd work on me and give me the strength. And I never felt the love that I felt in that time period. Since then, I mean, that was like the time I felt the closest to God even. It was when I was going through that. He wasn't beating me up. He was identifying stuff, but then he was also empowering me and showing me how much he loved me and that he was going to walk with me. Every single step. You see, I had shot myself in the foot by living in the world and doing the filthy things of the world. And so when I recommitted my life to God, my family still saw me as who I had been and not as who I was becoming. But after a year or so of walking with the Lord in that manner, like I just explained, My sister, who had strayed too, told me that I was different. That she could see that the Lord changed me. And along with a lot of prayer for her, and obviously the Lord's overarching work in her heart, and God using other people in her life, my sister recommitted her life to to Jesus. During that same time, I was really praying for a wife and telling the Lord all the different things I wanted in a wife. And he definitely answered my prayers. So I recommend doing that if you're uh, looking for a spouse. Uh, (laughs) Some other people have that same experience, apparently. It's good. Uh, And I was asking the Lord to help me get out of debt before I got married so I wouldn't bring that into my family. And for him to take away my ridiculous anger problem. I was also praying that I'd be free from pornography for a whole year before I got married. So I'd have the confidence that I was really free and not just about to fall perpetually over and over like I had been doing. I also had been praying that God would give me purity 
and truth because I was filthy and lost when I, when the Lord pulled me back to him and received me like the prodigal son. He had a lot of work in my character that he wanted to do. Well, I'd known the woman who is now my wife for a while, met her at church, and really got to know her through a prayer group we were both part of. When the Lord started drawing her and I together, I looked up what her name means. One meaning for her first name, Alicia, is truth. And one meaning for her middle name, Kay, is pure. I didn't joke up at first service, by the way, <laughs> like that. Uh, when I saw what her names meant, <laughs> my mind was blown. I thought, here I am praying for God to change me like he had shown me to do. And he did change me. But he also gave me a wife who actually embodies those things that I was praying for. I'm so blessed. So after a while, we were getting married, and we were going to move to Honduras to be missionaries. So we asked for financial support on the mission field instead of the typical household things you normally get as wedding gifts, you know, forks, spoons, plates, and whatnot, and all that stuff, blenders. Uh, we couldn't take that stuff with us anyways. Uh, and at our wedding, we were given enough money for a lot of our living expenses on the mission field, like we asked for, but we were also given enough money to pay off the debts that we had and so that we wouldn't have to uh, bring that debt with us to Honduras and you know pay bills from another country or whatever and have that hanging over our heads. Uh, and so that prayer, which was a big deal to me, was answered. The Lord provided, and we were given enough money to pay off that debt. That was a big deal to me. Uh, God answered another huge prayer at that time, too. I, have been, I had been free from pornography for 13 months. Thank God <laughs> by our wedding day. And right now I've been free for seven years. Glory be to God because it's only because of him that that's possible. Also, God had supernaturally taken away my anger problem with a lot of fasting and prayer and had led me into better financial responsibility. All the story to that point was just for me and my wife and future. But before long, the family started taking shape, and that's a whole different ballgame. I remember being in Honduras and my wife being pregnant with our first child and me being totally and completely panicked because we needed money for the health care and the midwife, and I had no way to go out and make extra money I was in a foreign country, and I felt totally helpless. But after trying to get loans and thinking of things that I could sell and everything else, I was too emotionally exhausted and out of energy to even worry about it. After about two weeks, I got a call from the organization that sent us out as missionaries saying someone had donated money for us for our mission work. Well, we needed $2,700. I remember very specifically because it was a big deal for the midwife back in the States. And the amount given was $3,000 with the organization taking 10% for their expenses and whatnot. So the net amount was $2,700. And once again, I was blown away by the goodness of God and him answering prayers. 
The people who gave the money were friends of ours and didn't have any idea that we even needed that money. I didn't even make that known, but I told them the story later on, and they thought it was pretty cool. A, a month and a half after getting back to San Antonio, our first daughter was born. It was amazing. But it also brought an, an anxiety I'd never felt before. I wanted to trust God with my children, but that was, that's been one of the hardest things for me. I've often found myself praying for my children out of anxiety instead of in trust in my Father in heaven. That's something the Lord's really been working on in my life. It's the place of trust and praying, worry and faith. How do we navigate this crazy world? Do I homeschool or not? What's this world going to be like when my kids grow up? I want to control things when I can't. I need to trust Jesus. And I know that. I have this knowledge and experience that prayer works. But I also have this fear or anxiety about missing something or things going off the rails. But that isn't of God. That isn't of God at all. It says in 1 John 4.18, There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Also, the, the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 7 says, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I need to believe the Lord that he will take care of us. I need to hope for good and endure difficulty, believing that God is with us. Then I trust, like Pastor Ryan talked about last week, and rest in God while I pray. That's the way we should pray for ourselves and our families. When I don't have the anxiety or fear is when I'm resting and trusting in my Father who loves me. It's not just kids and spouses that we should pray for, but our extended family too. Recently, my aunt, my dad's sister, passed away from cancer. She was in her 50s. She had just become a Christian a couple of years ago. Our prayer team and others prayed for her, but she died anyways. But the prayers worked because I prayed that no matter what, it would be a testimony to our family. I've seen her husband, my uncle, hold on to Jesus like never before. And he's only been a Christian for two years also. And he told me, I don't know how people make it without God. I prayed for my cousin on my mom's side that she would walk with Jesus. For long, out of the blue, it's crazy, she reached out to me and asked me to help her grow in a relationship with God. I'm thankful for the family and friends God has given me to pray for and love on, and the, but the truth is I'm really not that consistent. But he hears me anyways. He hears my cries. In between all the distractions and everything else, when I do get before him, he hears it. I think life is kind of like bowling in a way. But with Jesus, it's like when those bumper rails are up. You know what I'm talking about? Say grace is one bumper and prayer is the other one. 
even if we miss it, like we so often do as humans, God uses it and gives grace and makes it still possible for us to get a strike. He is so good. I want to pray for us right now, for us as individuals, for our families, that God will give us grace, that he'll encourage us, that he'll speak softly to us and draw us closer to him, that we'll grow in our relationship with him, in our intimacy, that we will, we will be drawn to the place of intimacy with God, of one-on-one time that we'll, we'll put him first somehow, even though we've failed to do it before, and we don't know how we're going to do it. <laughs> but he gives us grace, and his spirit is with us, and he loves us, and he will do that. Let's, let's cry out to God right now, and uh, just agree with me in prayer, if you would, for yourself, for your family. Father, I thank you so much for who you are. You are so good to us, Lord. Your word says that while we were still sinners, you died for us, Lord. You love us so much that you died. You laid your life down. You humbled yourself to allow us to have a way into the throne room of God in prayer. Father, that we can come before you in intimacy. And Lord, I just really ask you that you would really minister to us, that you would draw us into that place, Father. You'd pull us into that place of abiding in you, of one-on-one time, Lord, where we would, as best as we can, Father, that you'd help us to still our soul, our mind, and go before you, Lord, and just soak in your presence, Father God that your spirit would wash over us. Father, that you would minister to us, that you would show us your love and your kindness and your mercy. Lord, you would show us who you want us to be. Lord, I thank you for the love that comes with that, Lord, that you've like, Lord, with me, you showed me so much how you loved me while you were doing that, Lord that you would heal us, you'd heal our emotions and our minds, you'd heal our hearts, Lord, that you'd take away the scale and the things that hold us back. Father, that you'd help us to be vulnerable, that you'd help us to be real with you, Father, that we would allow you to highlight the things that don't line up with your character. Lord, that you'd use us to be witnesses to the world. Lord, to our families. That we'd be good examples, Lord, to those that we love, to our families, our friends, Father. Even anyone that we come in contact with, Father, help us to be selfless and humble before you. That you can speak to us, Father. And we thank you that you're so good and merciful that whatever condition we're in, Father, we're right in your eyes. You love us. And as you draw us near to you, Lord, that you'll show us your love and your mercy and your grace, Father God. Thank you, Jesus, for your power and your spirit. 
Thank you, Lord.